0: Hello and welcome to UACTIV's agri-food podcast. I'm Natasha Foote
1: and I'm Gerardo Fortuna
0: and here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from UACTIV's AgriFood news team. So this week we are talking about a scandal, not just any scandal but a sausage scandal which has got a nice ring to it. It's actually not a sausage scandal, it's a sausage and other chilled meat scandal which is less catchy. Um, but still we're talking about this problem uh, that we've seen this week between the UK and the EU another problem, another chapter in the you know ongoing problems. <laughs> Routine. Oh no.
1: That, that, that's another <laughs> Brexit stuff.
0: <laughs> another Brexit problem, yeah. I know, I know. Never doesn't doesn't stop. Um and so to do so, we've actually invited um his very own, Benjamin Fox, onto the podcast, and he's going to explain a little bit more about what this problem is and what it means for the future relations uh between the UK and the EU. So, Ben, welcome to the podcast. Your first time here. What is it's an honor to have you. I hope you're right. equally honored. It's an honour to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so the reason we asked you on to the podcast today is to talk about this this drama about sausages. Um, but first, we, before we do, Gerardo, you have a very important question for Ben, don't you? We're going
1: to go straight to the point: uh, the, chorizo the biggest question. or bangers? I mean, what would you go for?
2: <laughs> what sausages or
1: bangers? Yeah, no chorizo, chorizo, chorizo the Spanish one.
2: Oh, a chorizo or a banger. Mm. Hmm. Goodness, you're really putting me on the spot there. I it's mean, the to, be honest, to be honest, if if I'm going to have a sandwich, I'd rather have a sausage. I'd rather have a mm. banger. Mm. Mm. Um. But if it's for cold cuts, then obviously it's no competition. Taritha wins every time.
0: That was a very diplomatic answer. Very
1: diplomatic.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but I warn you, it's not just the sausage that's that's at risk here. We're also... Um, minced meat as well um is uh so you know potentially we're we're talking about people being deprived of um homemade spaghetti bolognese you know
0: oh you're really catering (laughs) to our audience here gerardo (laughs) gerardo's heart's breaking That's a very good segue, actually, into our first question. So maybe Ben, you can enlighten us. I mean, they've, the media is calling this a sausage war, but as you said, it's, it's more mm. it's chilled meats. There's an issue between the UK and the EU. So, so maybe you can explain what exactly is going on here.
2: The heart of this is the implementation of the trade and cooperation agreement between the EU and the UK, which came into force in January. But on this, it's kind of it's basically down to the the grace periods and the, the on the introduction of customs checks on chilled meats. And for some reason, the grace periods on chilled meats um, where the checks don't have to take place, that ends at the end of June. So both sides are now in a situation where they've got three weeks to kind of have an agreement on this. Otherwise, we are going to have potentially supermarkets um, with empty shelves. One of the vagaries of the, of the trade agreement was that the customs checks on the UK side come into force in, at different times, different times of this year. Uh, so, for example, there's another big deadline coming in October um, that will affect supermarkets and their supply chains. But at the end of June, it's chilled meat, and um, they need to come to some kind of agreement. And um, the talks this week, again, broke up without any deal.
1: And and Ben, according to you, who is uh, this most likely to impact? I mean, at the same time, um, there was a, a quite strong stance uh, uh, from the Commission. Uh, Sefcovic I- himself said that the US administration and the US Congress are following this matter very closely. And we are also on the eve of an important international summit uh, hosted by the UK. Um, So actually, do you think that this part could actually overshadow a bit uh, the event or could have an impact on the event? And again, uh, who is most likely to impact this this situation?
2: It's quite interesting to see that the language coming from Commissioner Sefcovic and from the UK Brexit Minister David Frost is an awful lot more belligerent and tough than the language coming from the diplomats uh, and the officials who are doing the technical work on both sides. So the UK diplomats have been kind of insisting that papers are, documents are being, with proposals are being exchanged, and they're talking up, you know, the the fact that neither side is is going to walk away from the talks, and that there are positive signs that they will come to a compromise. I, I suspect there's a slight gap between the kind of the public statements that are for, I guess, the UK media and the Brussels bubble and the actual technical talks. Um, in terms of who would get impacted the most, it's Northern Ireland really that's at the centre of this because this uh, the customs checks on uh, UK exports to um, all of Ireland and to the EU um they will basically northern ireland is being treated like the rest of the rest of the eu on this so they would actually suffer the most
0: and you kind of touched upon that i mean you know these issues the the reactions from the eu side because i feel like we've heard maybe more from the uk from uk media about you know everyone's reactions over there to, to this and i was wondering more about you know from the eu side what the feeling is kind of
2: i mean as we've seen that their patience is almost a Is very close to breaking point. The sense from the commission is that the UK wasn't really very prepared for the implementation of the Northern Ireland Protocol and for the and for the uh, implementation of customs checks. And that's, I mean, it's very hard to to doubt that and to question it uh, because it was basically on UK exports to the EU. The EU imposed customs checks. From January, whereas the UK did not want to impose checks on EU imports into the UK. And so that kind of gives you a sense that the UK wanted really light touch regulation on this because they weren't really ready for it. I mean, the other side to this is that, you know, the Commission, when when the UK unilaterally extended grace periods on a variety of products, the EU was furious and in, introduced uh, legal proceedings which are ongoing.
1: I mean, you mentioned this, uh, this uh, grace period. Going forward, how will this be resolved? Also considering, do you think that we can extend grace period uh, endlessly? Is is this the, the actual solution that the UK proposed?
2: I mean, I don't think so because if you're going to keep doing, if you're going to keep uh, extending grace periods, that kind of drives the coach and horses through the trade agreement. And I just can't see that the EU would ever agree to that without, I mean, as we're seeing on kind of um, psychosanitary standards, the EU is saying, look, if you want to, avoid these customs checks that a UK regulation needs to be aligned with the EU's on SPS and veterinary arrangements and treatment of meat and agri food and the UK says well we don't really want to do that but we you know they've made a counter proposal extending grace periods every 6 months or 3 months is just I just don't see how this works for businesses and consumers. I don't see how that could possibly sit well with with the agriculture lobby and supermarkets, for example, because it just it, it creates a permanent
3: problem for them.
0: And you hinted earlier um, that this is not going to be a one off thing. You know, do you see more uh, more food wars in this kind of, of this kind of genre coming in the future?
2: Probably, yeah. <laughs>
0: that's, that's a good straight answer. I like that
2: i mean yesterday obviously we had the, there was the first meeting of the there was of the partnership council between the eu and the uk which is supposed to be the kind of arbiter uh, monitoring body on the implementation of the trade uh, the trade agreement and i i just suspect that certainly for the rest of this year these teething problems on different sectors are going to continue the line that i always come back to on this is that brexit is not an event, it's a process, and working out a trade agreement after you've been um, in a common market together for 40 years, it's just inevitable that this is going to take a few years for these issues to iron out. I don't see any alternative to that. That's It just seems to be logical. That's how things will probably play out.
0: I heard you say before that Brexit was the gift that keeps on not giving. In this
2: case, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't worry too much um if I was a Brit about or or a European about you know not getting bacon or rum or sausages I mean
0: Cuz I am worried that's you you're you're talking to me here
2: <laughs> Yeah I mean when I'm in the supermarket I think um in the UK that is unfortunately since the pandemic um I see an awful lot of British bacon and not very much European produce um, I think if you're Irish, you have a big problem here. Um, it's all, also will relate to black pudding as well, that, that great delicacy. Um,
0: niche market. It,
2: well, a niche market, <laughs> but uh, a much beloved one. Let's not turn this into a melodrama. I suspect it will probably get worked out at some point in the next couple of weeks.
1: And in other news, uh, there was something else happening this week, uh, Natasha, um, Mm -hmm. which involved um, an important uh, file in the EU, which is the end of cage petitions petition uh can you tell us a bit more about this natasha
0: Mm -hmm, i sure can well the european parliament um this week they passed um a resolution this week urging the commission uh to make cages for farmed animals a thing of the past so this is marking a first step towards a potential ban on cages by 2027 which is pretty strong and this resolution comes as a response to this widely uh, widely successful citizens initiative um end the cage age which garnered 1.4 million signatures from over uh, 18 member states so that's pretty impressive and we spoke to um green mep francisco guerrero about um about what happened this week with this vote
3: the approval of this resolution that states that it's possible to end cages in animal farming systems here in the european union by 2027 it's very important and it was taken by a large majority here on the European parliament But the devil is in the details, because it states that it opens the possibility for the Commission to study this date, this period of 2027. Uh, So, it doesn't clearly state that it should be 2027. But for us, the Greens, it's a very uh, feasible uh, date, because it's a realistic date for all the stakeholders. Uh, Why? Because... This ban cannot be too soon because we need a fair transition period for our farmers, but also cannot be too late because several countries are already taking the leadership and imposing national bans uh, in this area. So later than 27 would create an unfair level playing field for our farmers. And there's also a very important Um, Recommendation uh, in this resolution that states that the products that come to the European market should have the same standards as the ones that are produced here So this also opens an opportunity for our farmers and to improve the the trade and commerce with other nations So uh, this is a very important step that we are taking 2027 is a, a very feasible and realistic date to end cages in animal farming And we are committing ourselves Uh, to what the citizens want, that is better legislation towards animal welfare, less impact on the environment and obviously uh, better income for our farmers.
0: So that's all from us this week. And this week, like every week, the Euractive Agrifood podcast was produced by Euractive's Agrifood News Team. That's Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Foote with the support of our podcast producer, Evie Chiori. And you can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms. So that's Amazon, Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.
1: And be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agriculture news from the EU. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This podcast is part of Euractiv's project Beyond Agriculture, funded by the IMCAP program of the European Union. The content of this podcast represents the views of the author only and is his, her, sole responsibility The European Commission does not accept any responsibility for use that may be made of the information it contains.